Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. These are movies that changed my life much more than anything else that's ever happened in my life. Sorry, wife and kids. Those movies are Time Bandits, Green Room, The Kingdom by Lars Van Trier, Submarine, and With Nail and I. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorja, and welcome to the second episode of IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. First of all, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode last week and took the time to share it out, give us a star rating, or write a review for us. Uh, We're all very proud of the work we have put into this show, and we're glad that you're all enjoying it so far. But if you haven't had a chance to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts yet, please do and let us know what you think of the show, along with the movies that changed your life, and I'll read out a few uh, of the reviews each week. This week's guest is actor, comedian, and now podcaster Joel McHale. Joel and I talked about his new podcast, The Darkest Timeline, that he hosts alongside fellow community alumni Ken Jeong, uh, how he has yet to see Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, among other things, And of course, the five movies that changed his life. Quick note before we start the show, even though this is being released on May 14th, 2020, we actually recorded this episode about two weeks ago uh, before all the great news about the community reunion table read was announced. So if you're wondering why Joel is saying he has hopes that something can be pulled together, uh, that is why. Thanks again for listening. And here's Movies That Changed My Life featuring Joel McHale. So you started a podcast called uh, The Darkest Timeline, which is obviously a reference yes. to the fantastic show community. You're what? Uh, five? It is not a reference to that. It's a reference to a Parks and Rec episode. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just making that up. Um, so you have five episodes released. You guys do stuff on mm-hmm. YouTube as well. Well, for those who aren't familiar, why don't you talk to us about The Darkest Timeline? I'm not even familiar with it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, Ken Jeong. Uh, Ken, as you know, is a retired actor. Uh and uh, he's very old now. And uh, so I decided to help him along with his convalescence. So uh, he is a real doctor. So we thought we should, because we, he, he and I talk a lot. And I said, let's bring these, we should bring our conversations to a podcast uh, because he knows a lot about the virus. And his wife is a practicing doctor. He was a doctor, a terrible one. <laughs> and uh and so let's have a thing where we have a conversation about the virus uh and then we'll talk about community probably because that's what or mass singer or something because we end up our paths have crossed a lot so it is not a community rewatch mm-hmm. and i think people thought it was going to be <laughs> but instead <laughs> it's just two middle-aged men yelling at each other and um so that's kind of what the premise was. And so I hope, I hope it can, it can is very good at distilling information about the virus. So that makes me terribly happy. And then, you know, we had such a good time on set that uh, we like talking about it and it did dovetail perfectly with Netflix releasing the show again. Right. So it's so funny because people are like, I'm so happy I can finally watch it. And I was like, it's been in a lot of places. I guess it shows you, <laughs> 
the uh, how how prevalent uh, Netflix is. So thank you, Netflix, for putting us on the front. Um, so I'm going to have to ask this. I can't have Joel McHale on and not ask the glaring uh, six seasons in a movie question. Yes. How does this change now that Community is on Netflix? So many stars of Community have great relationships with Netflix. Is this becoming more and more of a reality every minute that goes by? Well, I don't know if movies get willed into existence by <laughs> repopularity of the show because it went to a the most popular streaming service, uh, maybe. But there was talk about it beforehand. Now, Allison tweeted that she got a call from Sony, and the, I never got a call from Sony, so maybe <laughs> maybe she's just going to be in it. Uh, but uh, I would say it's more... I really kind of never thought it would ever happen, but it seems more possible now than ever. Uh, I don't know what the, there are so many different things that have to happen, which is, you know, Dan has to have time to write the thing. And Dan is the busiest person I know. He has got to, he's got to make like 600 Rick and Morty episodes. <laughs> Right. Then you've got to get the cast together all at the same time. I'm sure Donald will be a cinch to get in the movie, and I'm sure he'll be. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's not doing anything. What's yeah, he doing right be now? Like, very just affordable around. too, as well. Right. Um, <laughs> under the screen. Um, I know. I'm sure every, pretty much everybody. I don't know about Donald. Uh, is up for it. I mean, Donald really does have. I mean, he's got <laughs> Star Wars movies, and he's got to do Atlanta, and now I mean the schedules are all crazy now so i i i would before i used to say like oh that'd be great i hope so but i always kind of thought that's never gonna happen but it right. might i don't know uh it would be great a uh question uniting community and, and your podcast uh the darkest timeline the darkest timeline is reference to uh one of the most iconic community episodes yeah um and it's I, it's funny like even as community was still a pretty cult tv uh, and, and off the air at the time, the darkest timeline kept uh, the show on the forefront of like internet culture. Guys, I've been thinking about that night over and over. One thing has become clear. This is the darkest, most terrible timeline. Enough with the timeline crap, Abed. Just because of like the meme of Donald walking in, everything's on fire, saying the yep. darkest timeline. And that has been repurposed, uh, I mean, over and over and over again. Um, do you have, have you thought about that, about how you think like Twitter and Reddit and these memes have kept community just like afloat, uh, among all these other new shows that were coming up as always being relevant? God bless them. That's very nice of them because we started the, the show premiered over 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's so cool. I love that. Uh, and I think the darkest timeline you heard, I mean, I think it also, that meme took on a life of its own. Yes. I don't think people knew the show, but would use the meme. And I, the fact that I didn't set myself on fire during the shooting of that particular scene, if you look what I'm doing, I had lighter fluid just soaked on the end of a blanket and they would say light it. And then I would start spinning it to keep the fire away from burning down the, uh, the blanket was not smart, uh, <laughs> but it worked. And the fact that I didn't set my hair on fire, uh, is a miracle, but, uh, no, I, I, that's w what's so nice about the show is that people loved it and love it. And they and thank God they're discovering it despite my acting. And uh, so, I, yeah, I hey, keep it coming, guys. <laughs> I, I, I think it's I, it's I I, I think it's I, I never I knew when I was doing it, I was good. And as an actor, it feels so good to be on something that's good. And we didn't know if anybody was going to like it or we were going to actually get out of our first season. But I knew it was good when we were making it. And that felt so good. And so uh, I, I so I'm yeah, it's I'm very proud of it. Unlike that's almost uh, nothing else in my career. That's great. I mean, 10 years later, again, still kick in and again, it's going to have a whole new uh, group of fans, which I've been telling my friends for forever. You guys got to watch Community. Got to watch Community yeah, now. Well, it's on Netflix. So like, you have no some excuse. They, for some reason, they were like, "Yeah, I don't want to watch it." Anyway, keep telling, <laughs> keep telling them, and they don't. It, it'll happen. All right, let's get into the movies that changed Joel McHale's life, starting with 1981's *Time Bandits*, directed by Terry Gilliam, um, great, starring a whole slew of people, uh, not limited yes. to Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall. 
uh, who I just wrote them out because I thought they were so great. Michael Palin, uh, all these folks, John Kenny Keith. Baker. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is, is the Monty Python crew, right. but it is a very big departure from a Monty Python movie, obviously like, but like things like the life of Brian and Holy Grail and meaning of life are just astonishing things that like still, it's amazing. Those movies even got made and they are, Beautiful. Anyway, but Time Bandits, I saw that in the theater as a child. Mm-hmm. And that was before your parents. Your parents are probably my age. So, um, and I think the combination of uh, fantasy and wonder, but comedy and satire and this the the science fiction of it all with them the the these small people running around stealing stuff it's such a funny wonderful idea that if you found a way to travel through time you just robbed people and it's such a funny idea that they didn't they're not using it for good they're using it for like yeah we want to get rich and then of course that that they drag that kid into it and then you're off then the kid and uh, I think I learned I learned so much about what I loved about it because it t- just took you away to another world and uh, and also the comedy of it was sharp on a level that is astonishing. A scene of Ian Holm playing Napoleon and um, the, I just find it perfect. And then then the, then the villain uh, was so funny and. Uh, turning people into dogs and oh, pigs so and great. stuff like that. Right? And, yeah. And the, the climax of the whole thing is so great. Um, but there, I learned something about comedy in that movie and human nature in that movie because of the Robin Hood scenes with John Cleese. And I always thought, cause my dad kind of looks like John Cleese. <laughs> and I always thought, Oh, well that's like my dad, but that guy, that's like my dad who's in the movies. And I also learned that because in Monty Python, John Cleese would often wear a suit and he would kind of look like my dad. Uh, And there's a scene he, where Robin Hood is, they stumble into Robin Hood's camp. They have all this gear, which they, Robin Hood just takes from them. And, uh, and they're very reluctant about it, but then the poor show up. (laughs) Have you met the poor? Yeah. Have you met the poor? No, (laughs) they're poor. And uh, the, amazing moment where he starts handing out the stuff and the guy starts and he this is what happens folks this is a brutal scene but it's so funny where your hand they're like here's a beautiful gold chalice and then they punch the poor person out after they give them and uh then that keeps happening and then he and then john cleese is like is is, is, is that uh, absolutely necessary what did he say? He's, he's afraid it is. Ah, oh, fine, fine. There we are, madam. Congratulations. Thank well you. done. Jolly good. <laughs> Incidentally, would uh, any of you like to stay on a bit and help us with our work? There's still so much wealth to redistribute. And uh, that taught me so much about comedy and human nature in that uh, the poor are treated so terribly, A, and even when people are trying, most of the time, people, when they believe they're being good to them, are still not being good to them. That's most people, but they're obviously great. And, but the way they did it in such a concise and uh, just sublime way to communicate that thought was pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, I'll never, I'll never forget it. And that's such like a, a, a Gilliam and Python thing to do, right? Like in, in, Holy Grail, one of the best scenes is when King Arthur is riding up to a castle and it's the people who are just moving the mud back and forth and they talk about if, if it's a fiefdom, uh, are they serfs? Is it like, I mean, they have such a brilliant way of explaining like class struggle in these completely ridiculous scenarios and it just like hits so perfectly every single time. Like no matter how like, like obvious they want to be, right? Where they're just punching a poor person or when they kind of go the more like philosophical route. Um, like they do in Holy Grail, it, it's it's so good. Yeah, no, I think, but I do think that even though it's slapstick comedy, technically, if people are getting hit, right, literally, and, uh, <laughs> there is a. I mean, it is a heady idea in my mind. I'm just like, whoa! Just I just thought it was so brilliant, and uh, 
and just like, oh, that's human nature. And just to have just to have Robin Hood being an asshole is also just also Robin, Robin Hood's hat. I actually wrote my notes in my rewatch. I just wrote Robin Hood's hat with a star next to it because it's yeah unnecessarily huge. And, and talk about owning the screen. John Cleese just steps on. He's like, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was watching this, it felt very community to me. Um, did you feel that uh, like time bandits? Yeah, like I mean, every yeah, no, I would I would agree because it starts out in a normal sort of reality and then just goes bonkers, but is always anchored and uh, with and it sets up really wonderful rules for the worlds, and that's what was so great about community is that you have this band of people that the you love each other and they are do care about each other, but they but they're in and anything else can happen around them. And that's what's great about that sandbox. I'm surprised Time, Time Bandits hasn't been made into a TV series, so, or maybe it was. So it's going it? to be – it's being um, produced for Apple TV Plus right now, actually. Oh, it is? Yes. Look what I – I have new – thanks for including me, Apple TV Plus. <laughs> um, I'm curious if – do you think they're going to go like – do you think they'll try and keep it as like – like, you know, a, do you think they'll go full children's story or they're going to still make it like tongue-in-cheek, this is for kids, but it's also like – a lot of the more like really crazy stuff for adults uh, to that would be the good way to go down. See, I, as a kid, I don't even think of it as a kid movie. Um, I don't even think of it as a kid movie now. Right. Uh, Yeah. Me either. I mean, it's it's disguised as a kid's movie and uh, yeah, I mean, they better keep it as wacky and sophisticated as it was. And um, they have a lot. They, that's a tall order to be able to, maintain that tone good news is taika waititi is actually show running it so uh oh well that that shows you right there that it's gonna be great uh that's great he's you know that guy he's so funny um and so good so you saw this in theaters in 81 did you happen like were you already sort of invested in comedy at this point in 81 um because this is the earliest uh of the movies that you selected um or did this sort of like kind of sit in the back of your brain? And as you got more into comedy, it was always just, there. no, I mean, I had, uh, let's see. No, I had, no, I mean, I had already been watching a lot of television despite what my parents, <laughs> it's so funny because now my kids have all these screens and we're worried about it. I'm like, what the hell? That's what I right. did. And, um, no, I mean, I grew up watching Sanford and son okay. and I, thought I thought that was just one of the funniest things. Uh, when Red Fox just kept referring to his son as dummy. And I mean, it's so funny. It's like, one of dummy. the greatest TV show theme songs of all time, too. I love if that not theme the song. Great, yeah. If not and the it, greatest, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, no, I... And also, my dad is a huge comedy fan and a funny, a really funny guy. And I'm trying to think of... Like, we would watch the Bad News Bears, and when you watch that today, mm-hmm. it's kind of astonishing that... Kids watch it's, it. <laughs> I, I want to sit the kids down and be like... This is considered a children's movie, a kid's movie. <laughs> kids went to this. And uh, it's wonderful. Um, boy, and so inappropriate now. Um, no, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'd already seen Monty Python because it was on late at night on Channel 9 mm-hmm. on PBS and our KCTS in Seattle. And I adored it. And I'd already heard Steve Martin's comedy albums. Eddie Murphy's movie, I mean, Delirious hadn't come out. And I, th- and I don't think at that point, Richard Pryor's Live on the Sunset Strip mm-hmm. was available because that also is just an astonishing accomplishment. Right. Uh, yeah, so no, it wasn't like, I, 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 lo- I already loved Monty Python. And I, when I would see those people, I would get very excited. Yeah, the, the, not to keep derailing, but the first time I saw Holy Grail, um, I think I rewound the opening coconut sequence about ten times, like on my V yeah. on my VCR. I just kept going backwards and backwards. I just could not believe what I saw, um, and, and that movie just compl- again just like funny. blew my mind of like what comedy is. Um, it's it was just so good. Um, and it yeah, if people knew the British establishment that they turned upside down, it's pretty right. amazing. Uh, let's move along to another British comedy, nineteen eighty sevens with Noel and I. Uh, this is directed by yeah. Bruce Robinson, starring Richard E. Grant, Paul McGann. Uh, it has a 7.7 on IMDb, 38,000 ratings. 
the synopsis is, in 1969, two substance-abusing abusing unemployed actors retreat to the countryside for a holiday that proves disastrous. Um, yeah. Pretty... I mean, this this movie... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I was, um, I was going to say, I had never seen this before. Um, and fantastic. I mean, it, it is it is such massive influence on comedy today um, that I'm surprised. I, I, I pride myself on a... Uh, comedy fan and, and uh, you know weird movie guy and this hadn't crossed my my uh my register and I, and I loved it oh good that makes me happy i th- um boy i saw this in island video uh with my friend dominic DeLeo, who played mankini on the soup for 12 years over on on fremont f island video no on mercer island and mercer island oh on mercer okay okay then they added yogurt later on, <laughs> and um, that's also where I first saw Stop Making Sense. It's also where I first saw Scanners. They, they were just running on on a television there, and uh, my friend Nick was working at the store, and he's like, this movie with Nail and I, uh, we've got to see it, and we watched it, and it is uh, Richard E. Grant. It's his. It's an Oscar-winning performance of him being a substance abuser of almost anything, but it's so funny. It's not wacky. It's not. It's not a farce. It's but it's about these two guys, Paul McGann, who's so such a wonderful, wonderful actor, and these two guys go out to the countryside to a house that's not theirs. And um, it sounds very simple, but uh, they're both aspiring actors, which is also a hard thing to. I think sometimes in movies when they're commenting on acting. Mm-hmm. It can be a little bit hard uh, to pull off, but they, it pulls off in spades. Yep. And uh, they, they're they so good. And it Richard E. Grant's speech, he gives a short Shakespeare speech at the end when he his friend kind of does well. It gets a part, and he's so happy. And Richard, Grant, Richard E. Grant is so happy for him, while at the same time is so sad for himself. He's, he's also acts out a lot. He's always drunk. He's always high. He's getting into fights and I can't stress to you enough that this guy, I don't, I didn't, I had never heard of him. This is I don't know, 1987, so mm-hmm. I'm 15 or 16. And so I'd never heard of this actor. And I was just like, what is this? And who is this guy? Cause it's a, it's a, it's a, there's so many Oscar winning performances that are missed. And this is one of them in the biggest way. Cause if it was a big time, a list studio actor, who pulled that performance off, they would have gotten nine Oscars for it. <laughs> right. And uh, there, it's just very hard. And also Richard E. Grant plays drunk the whole time, basically, which is also very hard to pull off. And um, it's a tiny little movie made by George Harrison's production company when it existed called Handmade Films and George Harrison from the Beatles, young people. <laughs> who also produced and, Time Bandits. Uh, and also produce so time. You have two bandits. George Harrison uh, selections on here. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it's just it's it's a wonderful little movie, and uh, I'll ne- it'll always be in my top. Li- it'll always be on the top of my a uh, lot of my list because I, I it's really important. His Richard E. Grant just it is astonishing. A, a, a fun fact about this: so Richard E. Grant apparently had never been drunk prior to making the movie because he's allergic, right? Um, and that just puts everything else as like on another level in terms of his performance. I mean, that's something that yeah. probably, you know, there wasn't like an Oscar p- press tour back then in the eighties. Like there is now, there's not like a big, like, you know, for your consideration campaigns. And he still, you know, went through this process and, and g- to really hit that on the head. And it's so cool. Um, yeah, he hit, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. It, it's very hard to play drunk. Yes. And it's hard to play drunk at, <laughs> convincingly. And then you're doing all your acting stuff and then, you have the, the different levels of wasted that he plays throughout the thing is eerie. The thermostats, what have you done to them? I haven't touched them. Then why has my head gone numb? I must have some booze. I demand to have some booze. I wouldn't drink that if I was you. Why not? Because why not? I don't advise it. Even the wankers on the site wouldn't drink that. That's worse than meth. Nonsense. This is a far superior drink to meths. The wankers don't drink it because they can't afford it. So I have a question for you. you uh, you've picked two British 80s comedies. 
What do you think is the key differentiator between British 80s comedy and American 80s comedy? Oh, I think I, I think as a kid, I was very taken by British comedy. And I think uh, Monty Python had uh, had its hooks into me pretty deep. And that just made me go deeper into that stuff. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's better. I don't think it's worse. Uh, and everyone always, whenever I have... <laughs> People go, well, British comedy is better. I go, well, it can, it can ab- absolutely be great, right. uh, but we don't get a lot of their shit. So uh, there's a lot of crappy British comedies <laughs> out there, um, but there's the good ones are um, astonishing and will be our historic docu- historical documents. Uh, but it wasn't like I said, oh, I don't like American comedy. Uh, or I, you know, I, I, I'm not in that. I think it's just as a teenager, I was in love with that. Yep. So I mean, um, there's just so much Python content too, right? Like obviously the movies, the flying circus, did you get in the faulty towers also when you were younger? We all pretty much anything that those guys touched. I was, you know, and seeing, I could, I could, I could have put a bunch of other Terry Gilliam films right, you on could, the list. Every, every, your all five could have been Terry Gilliam stuff. Yeah. Day. I mean, you can make, I mean, the, the Fisher King is, you know, just uh, a heart, wonderful, funny, heartbreaking, incredible movie with two guys at the top of their game. And uh, so, but the, the list goes on and on and on with, with that. I mean, Brazil alone right. is, you know, you can't, it's, it's amazing. So uh, I, so I don't, so no, I didn't have a bias against American comedy and I saw all sorts of American comedy and, so, uh, yeah, so I just, I don't want to, uh, <laughs> say, I, I don't know why I think I just yeah. went down that rabbit hole Yeah, just and as being it. kind of like an actor, uh, alternative kid, I was always like, I'm going to go watch this movie that no one's heard right. of. And then I was often disappointed, but often very happy. Right. Let me just ask you a movie question. Yes, please do. What was your favorite movie the last year? Uh, so the farewell is high on my list. Um, I really, really loved that movie. I thought it was uh, beautiful. Parasite, obviously, um, I really loved. Still haven't seen it. You haven't seen Parasite? Is that a movie? No. Yeah, I'm terrible. So, I, as I said, I'm ter- I, I'm also like ADHD and you know, like OCD, sure. and uh, yeah, I'm freaking all over the map. It's not good. Uh, man, Parasite lives up to the hype. Great. All it right. really does. I'll watch it tomorrow. How about you? Did you have a favorite movie from last year? Well, I didn't see that many. Mm-hmm. Still, you have a favorite. <laughs> but I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and in mm-hmm. Hollywood, and I just thought it was a masterpiece. Uh, it's me too. It, it is just astonishing. Yeah. And when I hear people go like, "Yeah, but there's no story," and I'm just like, "So sorry that they didn't follow the <laughs> formula that every movie does." Practically, uh, it is right. Remarkable. So I have kind of a hot take on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it is his most technically, his highest technical achievement as a director. Okay. I think he does a lot of cool stuff with cranes, um, like that shot where um, Brad Pitt is driving into the drive the theater and the crane falls him over the screen to his trailer. Um, they do a couple crane stuff where they're going from you know uh, Leo's house to, to uh, Sharon Tate's house. Uh, the freeway stuff. How, how do you feel about that? You know the fact that here, the fact that you pointed it out, and now I think about it, and it is astonishing. But the fact that I didn't feel it as a way of he, as so many directors do to show off, it just makes it even more remarkable. Uh, makes it better, right? Yeah, right. Because there's not some, flexing; he's just doing yeah, it. Yeah, and there's so many fu shots by directors to go look what I can do. I can do that shot that I learned in film school. And that's what, and and then you go like, yeah, does it help tell the story? Obviously, a, like a beautiful tracking shot in Goodfellas through the restaurant is and through the the kitchen is does tell the story and is beautiful. Uh, and then others are just like, yeah, okay, way to go. Why'd you do it? And that, but the fact that I didn't even realize that those crane shots were happening is you. I don't even I didn't feel it, but it contributes to telling the story and it's and and driving the characters. So. The first, the first time I watched it, I like enjoyed it a lot. But the second time I watched it, I was like, "This is on another level for for Tarantino." I mean, yeah, it's it's you know you got to commit a lot of time to do it twice. I've seen, I think I've seen it three times now, but it's like 
every time, again, it's another movie where you just keep getting more and more out of the performances and the, and the writing and all this sort of stuff. It's great. My friend has watched it over 40 times. His 40? 40? <laughs> he put it on every, as soon as it was available, he just put it on every night and watched it. And I was like, damn. And he's got a small kid. Anyway, thank you for letting me know on that. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So in true Python form and now for something completely different, uh, let's jump ahead to 2015's Green Room. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. This is a 7.0 on IMDb, 99,000 ratings. 7.0. And half of those are going to be like, I thought it was too violent. <laughs> I thought it was, I didn't, I thought it was supposed to be a horror movie. And when I hear people saying, I don't like horror, I've said it, I was like, have you seen Green? Like, I don't like horror movies. So, and I'll be like, well, good to know. <laughs> have you, have you seen this non horror movie called Green Room? Uh, it is, uh- it's, Ahead, a a punk rock band is forced to fight for survival after witnessing a murder at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar uh, outside of Portland, so Pacific Northwest also, shout out. Um, maybe not for the best reasons, but still. <laughs> um, Beautifully, a beautiful location. Yeah, beautiful location. Uh, man, what a movie. I hadn't seen this. Um, I think I saw it in theaters in 2015. Uh, I'm a big mm-hmm. A24, like I'm the most embarrassing A24 fanboy. Like Anything that comes out, I'm going to watch it in theaters. Uh, all my friends make fun Next. for it, but it is, it's, it's, it's so good. Anton Yelchin, Imogen Poots, Aliyah Shakwat, Patrick Stewart. Uh, Eric- Patrick Stewart as the head neo-Nazi. I mean, come on. This is, uh, and then of course, tragic. It was, I think it was Anton Yeltsin's second to last movie yep. or something yep, like that. Yeah. Uh, and such a tragedy because when you watch him in that movie, Anton Yeltsin played Chekhov in all the the latest Star Trek movies, people out there, and he's so good. He's he and when I watched him in that, it was like, oh, there's a movie star, there's a leading man right there, and uh, I, it's such a tragedy, and. Um, that he's gone because I was like, Oh, I can't wait to watch this guy's career unfold. And anyway, I'm just going to cry. Um, what I love about this movie is that once it gets a hold of you, like there's the first 10 minutes and then hold on to your hat. And I love a movie like this, almost like run Lola run mm. where the movie's going at a pace. Not that, not that it's all action the whole time or anything like that. It's just the pacing is going at a pace that you're like, I can't believe how they're keeping this up. And it is nonstop. And there's no, there's not hardly, it's not that it's like they didn't build lulls in or something. It's just that the storytelling b- kind of blows the old story. It kind of yeah. just doesn't follow the regular way. And it is just one, it's a, it's a, it's a real moment that it's, it's happening over. It's happening over almost, it happens in one night and it's just, so I can't recommend it enough. Yes, there's fi- that part of it is that the violence is so good in it, and it's, it meets exact. And it's on top of all this, there are some inc- huge laughs. Some of the biggest laughs that are so unexpected, and it's because it's not a comedy, and or maybe it is a comedy. <laughs> and and I, I watched it, and I was just like, I never wanted it to stop. I just wanted to keep going. It's funny you were talking about the pacing. Um, it takes 43 minutes until uh, they open the green room door and the like. basically the action really starts. 43 minutes. And during that 43 minutes, I thought it was like four hours because 
it is so tense. Every like moment, like that, it's, yeah. it's like going into it and you know, like, oh, it's a horror movie or it's like an action or whatever, or it's a thriller. Like you're waiting at every every scene seems like it's gonna start right here. Oh, it's gonna start here. No, it's gonna start here. Yeah. And he makes you wait 43 minutes. I mean, the, the the pacing of that is is masterful. When the movie ends, you're like, oh, oh, okay. The ride is over, and I can't believe how great it was. And the violence is so wonderfully realistic. There's nothing. I mean, when what's her name? Uh, Poots. What's her? Uh, the Imogen Poots. Imogen yeah. Poots. When she when she cuts this guy open, it is <laughs> unreal. It's so it's so well done and so realistic. And I'm not. And I think some people. When I hear people go like, "I don't like to see violence," I was just like, "This is what would happen." And it's right. It, it it's not. I swear to you, it is not gory. It is not trying to gross anything out or trying to. Uh, it's it's not trying to outgore anything or trying to shock you. It's just kind of like, yeah, that seems like that's how it would yeah. go down if you did that. And um, I just I again, this is one of those movies. It will never get nominated for an Oscar because it doesn't check mm-hmm. off the boxes, and it should. It should win all of them because it is that's a masterpiece. Um, so did you see this in theaters? Where did you, or did you see it after the fact? No, I didn't. So there was a time when I don't see many movies in theaters because I got kids and I'm wildly busy, and so I watch a lot of stuff at home. And so my friend Boyd was just like, "You need to sit and watch it, and you need to watch it on the biggest screen and turn it up." And boy, was he right. My other note in this is: Do you think this would work if Patrick Stewart was not? the head neo-Nazi if they had gotten another actor or do you think this movie really, really works because it's him? I mean, no offense to Patrick Stewart because he's literally one of the greatest actors ever to live. Absolutely. The movie would work. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not, a, it's not like, um, cause the, his part is not like George C. Mm-hmm. Scott and Patton where you need this or like Forrest Gump or like sure. Tom yeah, Hanks. Yeah. Uh, 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 I, I think Patrick Stewart would agree with me that, you know, that, uh, I mean, obviously so he good. makes the movie so good, but, uh, but no, this movie absolutely would be, would be fine. And I don't know why he didn't <laughs> cast me as Patrick Stewart. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Movies That Changed My Life. If you are, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get all of our upcoming episodes as soon as they are available. Because if I do say so myself, we have some awesome guests coming on to talk about equally awesome movies like Elle Fanning on Grease, Judy Greer on Casablanca, and Kevin Smith on Reservoir Dogs. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out imdb.com slash podcasts for more content. Now let's get back to Movies That Changed My Life with Joel McHale. All right, so let's talk about next movie, another movie I hadn't seen. Uh, it's 2010's Submarine. How often do I stump you? How, how often uh, do you get stumped? In terms of movies I hadn't seen? Yeah. I'm, I'm generally pretty good. Uh, with Nail and I, I had heard of. Submarine okay. I'd heard of, but I had not seen either. Um, okay. But I'm generally pretty good, and I was a huge fan uh, of Submarine. This came out in 2010, 7.3. 82,000 uh, ratings on IMDb. A coming-of-age story about Oliver Tate as he tries to balance his first love and the saving of his parents' relationship. Written and directed by Richard Ayoade, uh, who is... Ayoade. yeah, I think I got it. Um, talk to me about it. Talk to me about Submarine. This is one of those movies, again, where it should have been nominated for a thousand different Oscars, but it didn't get the press that uh, goes along with a quirky uh, British film. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it catches fire, especially if it has big stars in it and it didn't have big stars. And, uh, but it is, someone put it like, it's the best coming of age movie since Ferris Bueller's day off. Mm. And I could not agree with it more on a, it's a totally separate. It, it's like saying, uh, it's like, what's it, I, It's like saying like, if Ferris Bueller's day off is an Italian meal, uh, submarine is the best sushi meal you've ever had. They're just you can't, they're 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 still a meal, but they're very different. And this movie is just so innovative, so wonderfully sweet, and so funny. And I say sweet in the best way because it really is about these two kids falling in love. 
and coming of age and learning about themselves and their parents dealing with really heavy stuff. And uh, Richard Ayuwadi, who, full disclosure, I know. Yeah, we'll talk, about, it. We'll talk crowd, about that. Um, that's why I saw it, because he's like, oh, I've got a little movie coming out. You see it? And uh, and it is just, I can't, it, it's innovative and it has these, uh, fanciful moments and then has these, but it's such good filmmaking and none of it is indulgent trying to communicate. Like, it's like, this is the important part. None of that. And, um, the acting is really, so, and then there, there are really, it's very, uh, in a movie like this where there is real themes and, uh, kids with real feelings and it's a comedy hard thing to pull off for. So, like there's this scene where he's eating dinner at uh, his new love's house and her mom has cancer and it's already getting heavy and it's Christmas dinner. And the father gives a speech where he begins crying. But so you I mean, this is a heavy scene, but in the background, there's a Christmas tree <laughs> and the Christmas tree as he starts giving the speech, it's very subtle, but it flickers. And he's still giving the speech, and he's losing it. It flickers again. And he's still giving the speech, and he's getting more emotional. It flickers again. It's not supposed to be flickering. And then the dad, like you don't even see it coming. The dad just fucking loses it and runs over and tackles the Christmas tree. <laughs> and it's that sort of like, oh, my gosh, you jumped over 25 laser security beams to get to that prize. It's like one of those movies that um, just pierces your heart without even you knowing it. And so when you think about it, you go, yeah, that movie. So yeah, I just love it. I also loved like how very meta um, it was. Um, you know, the, the lead character, Oliver, he sort of tells his life story as if he was shooting a biopic um, mm-hmm. and he talks about how, you know, this would be my document. Maybe I'm in a documentary and this is the beach and it shows like a really like very, you know, set up shot of him on the beach or where he says, uh, you know, right now I would love to have a dolly zoom out, a crane come out uh, from above me, but I don't have that in my budget. So it's just like a, you know, a zoom out standard. I mean, um, it's very, lots of tongue in cheek. Which is such a thing a kid does, which is right. like, I'm in, I'm in my own movie right now. Right. It's like a kid who's like, no, I've got my own theme music and I, and I hum it to myself. That's right. so, that's so real. Like a real, it's a, such what a kid does. And like the, the performances across the board are so, so good. Uh, I mean, obviously Noah Taylor and uh, Sally Hawkins are well-known names. They're fantastic. But yeah, not, yeah. Um, Patty uh, Constantine as Graham Purvis, uh, Craig Roberts as Oliver Tate, um, Yasmin Page as Jordana. I mean, it's it's so good and so subtle and nothing is like overdone. It it really like pulls at your strings in the right way. I can't recommend it enough. And uh, yeah, I mean, I it's it's admit when movies like this get made and look like that, Mm -hmm. it it's it just gives me hope for all cinema where I'm like, yes, great stuff is still being made. Um, So director Richard Iwadi he directed. Uh, episode Community, Season 2, Episode 19, Critical Film mm-hmm. Studies. Um, yeah. Iconic episode um, featuring you and Abed having a pretty hilarious scene. Um, what is it? Uh, my Dinner with Andre parody. Yeah, with and Andre. we did a Pulp Fiction parody. And the Pulp Fiction parody. Um, it's funny. No, yeah, that was all in the same episode. And right. Richard is, he's such a good director. I mean, I, am, uh, I'm, I knew him because we did the American version of the IT crowd, which only got to the pilot stage which is probably good because i would have been eaten alive probably uh <laughs> but uh it he's such a nice man a b he's six nine or whatever uh no he's a very tall man but uh he's just so funny and he has got a, the sensibility he has is astonishing so i i i would i hate even talking about him like this because if he hears about it he's gonna be like wanted you saying those things so uh he's not somebody that takes a compliment at all yeah i mean i it's shocking to me that he's only directed two feature films um because yeah i mean Submarine it is sucks so I so really, brilliant i'd love to see him do more and the double is so great and 
I, I wish there was just much more for him. I, yeah, I, dear God, Richard, please start directing some more movies, <laughs> please. For both of us. Last movie here, then it's kind of TV show too, depending on how you watched it, uh, is the kingdom. This is, uh, it is a television show, right? Yeah. Technically it is a TV show, um, directed and written by Lars von Trier. Uh, this has an 8.3 on IMDb, 16,000 ratings, the synopsis is doctors at an ultra-modern hospital in Denmark become convinced by way of weird, inexplicable happenings that the place is haunted. Um, talk yeah. to me. What? It's, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's eight hours long. Uh, so it really, it's four or about eight hours long. It's eight television episodes put together into two movies. And I saw it at the Seattle Film Festival in 1995, nice. three. And I... I believe it won the festival and uh, I believe it did. Anyway, I was, it was my introduction to Lars Van Trier and I was blown away and I can't recommend it enough because you can see what a brilliant filmmaker he is. Uh, I mean, obviously he's had his issues and he said some pretty dumb shit, but, uh, but he can make a movie, man. And a haunted hospital sounds like a sounds like it's going to be some kind of horror film, and it's basically a comedy, but it got a lot of heavy themes, and so it's it's like life in that way that there's like there's comedy, there's drama, uh, there's the the and it, it's slowly dawning on them this place is haunted, and he uses two people who are experiencing Down syndrome to communicate between human the 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 living and the dead and it works really well and um it's yeah i i there's and the character subtleties and the work and then you see so it's a danish hospital and there's like swedish doctors there that hate the danes and they hate the swedes and they yell at they they keep it bottled in and um it's just I I can't recommend it. Watch it over like a few days. To treat it as a television show because it works. It works really well. You don't have to sit there <laughs> for four hours. But um, I just remember being very. I think he did Breaking the Waves next after that, uh, which is a, an amazing movie. That I when I saw it, I was like, that was incredible. I don't think I can see it again. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the Kingdom is really worth it if you can. When I hear people, uh, when I hear people say they don't want to read subtitles, I want to throw them through the. It's just like you know what? I'm super dyslexic. I have trouble reading too. But come on, give me a break. There's an entire world out there that doesn't speak English, so get used to it. And that's good. And it's part of the. It the, it makes movies wonderfully different. Anyway, thank you. I'm Joel McHale. <laughs> so have you when you watch it at SIF, it did win in ninety five, by the way. Uh did it did it you watch it in four hours in one sitting? Yes. I watched it all in one day. It was two chunks <laughs> oh. at um the Guild forty fifth theater. Oh, that's closed now. City. It's such a shame. Is it? I mean, yeah. this is every single small movie theater. This is so you kids out there, just so you know, movie theaters did not used to be uh multiplexes. It's all great. Multiplexes are fine, and thank God for I thank God for his chairs to lean back in and you can finally <laughs> hear all that's all great. And I'm very happy about that. But there was a time when movie houses and they would show really crazy stuff. I saw the crumb documentary at the guild 45th and which is highly disturbing. So all these wonderful little movies and it's just not the way that, I mean, movies, they're always going to be independent cinema, but, um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, I saw. I watched the whole thing in one day, and it was. I was one of the things. Where I was like, "Keep it going, I'm in." There was no chore happening. There's movies that are long, and you're like, "It's a good thing I watched that. That was important, and that I don't need to watch it again." But now I can go tell my friends that I saw it. And uh, this is one of those things. I was just like, "Keep it going." Right. It's so good. So watch it, please. And when someone said, "Some," I saw a review that was like, "It's like ER on acid." I'm like, <laughs> "No, it's not." 
it's not like ER on acid. It may not be ER on acid, but it is definitely worth the watch. Again, that is uh, The Kingdom, directed by Lars von Trier. And there we have it, the five movies that changed Joel McHale's life. Uh, before we go, I want to make sure we talk about your upcoming project, which is a new thing for you. Uh, you're going to be playing Sylvester Pemberton in the CW's upcoming DC Universe TV show, uh, Stargirl. I'm very excited, and I uh, I always wanted to be in a superhero thing, and then they I got to be, and it was... So I yeah I couldn't believe I, I they cast I was so happy they cast me my part is relatively small I'm hoping uh, because I I'm I passed <laughs> the torch literally uh, to Star Girl in the first episode sure. You're, I'm not spoiling anything and uh, but it was just so much fun to be on that set and all my scenes were with Luke Wilson and he's such a good actor and so nice and I. Um, so I, I was thrilled to be there. And um, so I, I got to do the, you know, I felt like I had won the lottery. And I was like, oh, here's what I get to be in a superhero movie for a, a very short version of it. So I got to be suspended. So it was really fun. And I think the show is really, really high quality. And uh, the lead's just amazing. She's so great. So uh, I, I highly, I, again, I'm in, I think I'm in something good. So yeah, the Arrowverse and and DC's TV stuff, they do something right. All those shows, they really capture, um, like what works for the superhero, like TV model. And I'm I'm sure star was going to hit the same. Thank you so much for hanging out. So we talked about time bandits. Thank you. And we didn't talk about spy kids Four. what the (laughs) fuck dude. No. Hey, thank you. That's really fun. And you're very thoughtful. And, and, uh, what's the, what movie should I watch tomorrow? Other than parasite? Uh, you definitely should watch parasite. Um, did you watch okay. Midsummer last year? No, Midsummer, I gotta watch that. Both of those, Midsummer and Parasite, were awesome, awesome movies. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, great, great, great. Go. Uh, did you ever see Breakdown? Breakdown, no. With uh, Kurt Russell. No. Uh, Nineteen ninety-seven. Right, cool. Kurt Russell, J.T. Walsh. I will add that to my list. Go watch that. Boom. And don't stop it. All right. Thanks again for listening. We will be back next Thursday with the great Al Fanning. Uh, and if you want more information about Joel and his picks, visit imdb.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.